Yeah, so if you don't have children, uh, it was pretty crazy uh, this past week here at Wallula. We had hundreds of elementary kids and middle schoolers, um, and they did a great job of not only putting it on, but also cleaning up. You wouldn't even know uh, anything had happened. And so, uh, yeah, uh, if you see Katie, just tell her, good job. She starts planning for this. I take this back. Uh, She starts this pretty much in the fall, planning for VBS, and really starts buying things and getting things ready like in January. It's a little overwhelming because I share an office with her, and she just always has stuff coming in for the summer. Uh, But yeah, we had a great time. Uh, And if you don't know me, my name is Zach Bolin. I am the student pastor here at Wallula Christian Church. Lance is not here, uh, but he will be back next week. But uh, yeah, you get me today. So um, it's fun. Sometimes Lance will say, you know, I need you to preach from a certain scripture that he's already doing or a, a series. And sometimes he's like, the Bible is yours. Do what you want. And so uh, I got to choose. So today we're going to be looking at this idea of gray areas, which I always like. I like um, uh, the tension of not arguing, but just disagreeing and kind of fleshing out my own faith and causing the students to do that, do that as well. And uh, I would like to start as we get started, I want to start by apologizing. Because if you see what we're talking about, gray areas, you probably know, oh, there's going to be things that, you know, Christians disagree on, and Zach's going to talk about that. And that's true. Um, But my goal is not to answer any of these. Uh, I may go into a couple of different topics, but uh, if you're thinking, oh, finally, I'm going to get clarity on a certain topic, in reality, I may actually give you more to think about uh, for some of these gray areas that uh, that we deal with. And so it could be frustrating today as you are wanting more clarity, and I'm not going to give that to you. I will be intentionally not going down those rabbit holes. We, we could do a whole sermon series on gray areas where we have like six-week sermon series, and we just talk about hot-button issues or things that we disagree about. Uh, but then after those six weeks are over, you would still need another 20 weeks to answer your specific questions because you can't really answer them all in six weeks. So what am I going to do in one week? Uh, my goal is not so much to try to answer your questions because your questions are going to keep coming and there's going to be stuff that's going to come up later on in life and you're like, well, what about this? So today we're going to look at what should our approach be when it comes to gray areas, in any gray area that you may have, in anything where whereas other people may think this is a black and white thing, a black and white issue, a black and white topic, and you think, well, maybe not. How do we approach that when it comes to gray areas? What should we do as a Christian? Before we go into it, I kind of want to highlight two different gray areas, I guess, if you will. And I just want to show you how there's even differences that we approach this. Uh, November 14th, 2001 uh, was the release of the first Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I was a sophomore in college. And I had not read any of the books. I didn't know anything about the movie. I just knew it was really popular. And everyone was talking about it because it was the first movie. And I remember like CNN and all the news outlets, they were talking about, because the books were already popular, so they knew this was going to be a big movie. So they had talking heads, people debating, Christians on one side, non-Christians, or I don't know what. But people were just, had a strong opinion about this uh, wizarding boy and what that meant, and should Christians see this or not. And I remember the church that I went to, there were families uh, that I looked up to and respected. Young adults. So I was like 20, and so these were young adults that had kids. They're probably my age now. And I remember there was one family that could not wait to go see it, a family that I looked up to and respected. They could not wait to take their, their kids to it. They had read the books. And uh, so I thought, oh, that's cool. And then I remember another family saying, we don't support this. A family that I looked up to. 
And they said, we don't support this. We don't, we don't agree with the message. Even, no matter how great the story is and how fun and good versus evil and all that stuff, if it's centered around this idea of witchcraft, and, and there's, look, here's a scripture, ready? Ephesians 5. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, dissensions, selfish ambition, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is not the only scripture. There's plenty of scriptures that talk about witchcraft. And this family decided, man, I get that it's probably a good book and a great story, but we don't want to participate in that. Right? And so the first example I give is in that there are Christians who I knew and respected and were trying to follow God who disagreed on a certain issue. Like, here's the topic, and they did not meet in the middle. Okay? Another example of a gray issue, of gray area, would be one where actually Christians agree. So if you have two Christians who both would say, you know, we think abortion is wrong. We think that God values life and we should support life in any, in any case. No matter young or old, we should support life. And so both Christians say, we agree with the Bible, we agree with each other, this is wrong, we should do something about it. And one guy says, yeah, that's why I got my sign, and I'm going down to the abortion clinic, and I'm going to stand up there, and I'm going I'm to make a scene. I'm going to make people uncomfortable. We're not going to make this a normal thing, and they're going to have to confront the sin that's going on here. All right? And this is how this Christian is doing this. Right? With, or maybe even just silently protesting. We're not even making this guy a bad guy, but that's how he's going to do it. And then there's another Christian who may say, you know what, I'm not standing on a corner. That's crazy. That's just a crazy person thing to do. He goes, but what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for politicians that will progress um, a pro-life agenda. Even if it means voting for someone that I disagree with almost on everything else, if they're pro-life, that's the main thing. And so that's what I'm going to do. And the guy with the sign may say, like, you're compromising your values. Stand up for what you believe. Show yourself. And, you, and the point is this, is you could have two Christians who believe the same thing, believe what Scripture says, and they believe that, God, you know, everything that Scripture says about it and that they're pro-life, and yet they disagree on what we should do about that. What should a, how should a Christian respond? And so there's a gray area on how should they engage this part, this issue, or this topic. Do you understand? So the first one was a topic where they disagreed, Harry Potter. And the other one is they agree, but then they disagreed on what works and what's effective and what they should do or shouldn't do. And so all throughout Scripture, there's areas of, of gray areas. There's areas of gray areas. All throughout Scripture, there are gray areas. And there's scenarios where people would disagree. And so what do we do with that? A few years ago, I had asked this on Facebook. I was teaching a lesson on it, and I, I just thrown it on Facebook. What are, what are some areas that you think is a gray area when it comes to the Bible or, or that Christians face, that, pe- that Christians disagree on? They don't see eye to eye. And so maybe some of these you've heard before. Killing, killing during wartime, is that okay? Marijuana, we're, we're literally next door to a state that says legally it's okay. And before, all drugs are bad. It's the law, it's bad, don't do it. And now they're saying, well, except for this one in this state. And if you're a Christian in Denver, is that okay? And so they said, I don't know, I want to obey the law, but I don't want to, you know, go against my conscience. And so they said, that's kind of a gray area. Movies, TV, or music, how much, how much do you allow culture to impact what you listen to, uh, what you take in? And is there something that's too far or too much? Do Christians allow too much in? One even said lying on social media, meaning you're not going out and saying false things about yourself, but you're only presenting yourself in one way. 
Only the good pictures go through. Only the good pictures of your kids. Uh, you're not really real. And it's not an overt lie, but you're intentionally not showing who you really are, being vulnerable, being open. Then there's the Christian's, ro- the Christian's role in politics, or really how much should politics play a role in a Christian's life? How much should a Christian, de- should depend, how much should a Christian depend on the government to solve the world's problems versus the church solving those problems? And should we, do we lean too much on politicians? And there's homosexuality and alcohol and gambling and on. And, and really, there's also a whole other subset of just uh, theological gray areas that maybe people in this room disagree with. At what point is someone saved? At what point is baptism essential? What's your view of hell? Is that literal or figurative? What's your view of revelation? Is that literal or figurative? What's your view of creation? Is that literal or figurative? Do you believe in free will or do you believe in predestination? And even in this room, I may just be hitting on certain topics and you're like, well, obviously it's this or obviously it's not this. And the thing is, that we, we start delving into these, I, these topics that people disagree on. And so what do you do? What should our approach be when it comes to gray areas that I've maybe mentioned or that haven't even occurred yet and that you're going to deal with later on? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at three different points. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, it's just going to be kind of weird. We're going to be on topic one, point one, but really, uh, if you have your bulletins, you're going to notice uh, points two and three are Romans 13 and 14, and that's really where we're going to be. So go to point one, totally go to that one, Second Timothy, if you want to follow along. But 13 and 14, we're going to get into a lot of meat. Um, and point one, I'm going to be skipping around a little bit. So uh, if you have your uh, bulletins, you can follow along there. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in 2 Timothy right now. First point is this. Pursue Scripture above all else. What should our approach be when it comes to gray areas? Number one, pursue Scripture above all else. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This seems like a (laughs) no-brainer. Number one, go to the Bible. However, this may be the hardest step. Because before we even open our Bible, we have to agree on a few things. As you're holding your Bible, before you even look into it, if it comes to an area of disagreement, the first thing is we got to seek Scripture first before we go after our own opinion. We put what we want aside and we we agree that no matter what the Bible says, we're going to try to support that. Number two, my goal is to try to understand what the Scripture says completely. And not just use it to defend my position. It's easy when you're arguing with someone and you find the one verse that kind of supports what you think. And you'll say, see, I told you. And you're not really being honest or fair. You're only using it to defend yourself and not really trying to understand completely what is being said in Scripture. The third thing is that my goal is to speak the truth of Scripture, even if it's not what I like or if it's what I want. And there's been times when I'm like, man, God, it'd be so much easier if you just said this. <laughs> I, wish he, I wish it was just like this, but instead I have what you've said, and it's harder now. And yet I have to speak on behalf of Scripture. I have to defend it, even if it goes against what I want it to say, and even if it goes against what I've already said. <laughs> so I'm like, well, yeah, obviously this is what God meant. And then there's other Scriptures or another argument brought up, and I'm like, oh. So I have to defend Scripture even if it goes against myself. And I have to change my mind. And the last one is this. My goal is to speak, speak the truth of Scripture, even if it's not what you like. 
Even if culture is all saying one thing, and it seems so obvious of whatever it is, even if everyone else disagrees with you, if Scripture says it, and you feel that that's, it's, you're representing it well, you have to speak the truth to it. So number one is pursue Scripture above all else. Now, this may sound obvious and, and like a no-brainer and no big deal to you. Many Christians will stand up proudly and say that they stand for the Word of God when it, when it comes to big-ticket issues. Sanctity of life, yeah, and, and you feel like I will represent the Bible, and, and uh, we're from Kansas in the Midwest, and you know, those, those people on the coast, they don't know what's going on, but we have the Bible. But the thing is, we only really hold on to like a couple of issues really hard, and then the rest of them we kind of just let go. And so if we're going to stand up and say we want to defend the truth of Scripture, we got to be willing to defend all of it if we really believe it's true. It doesn't take much for a non-Christian to read the New Testament and then just start asking questions like, well, what about this? Like, I get your two talking points, talking points that you talk about. But what about something else? What about, like, what does the Bible say about materialism? Matthew 5.40, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, and if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt and hand over, if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, you will hand over your coat as well. If anybody forces you to go one mile, you go with them two miles. You give to the one who asks, and you do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So when it comes to our stuff that we hold on to so tight, he's saying give it away. If they ask, give it, and then give some more. And my question is, are we known as Christians for being not just people who give, but people who give more than we should? And not just more than we should, but more, do we sh- more than we should to even people who may not want our best interests. People are trying to sue you, and they want your coat. It says, give them your coat. Give them more then. Give them your tunic as well. Are we known for that? Do we defend that passage very well? In Matthew 10, there's a rich young ruler. He's a good guy. He obeys all the commandments, and he says, what must I do to get into heaven? And Jesus says, sell everything. And it's not a command for all of us to go sell all we have, but it's a point that he's making that he knows what's in our, the, the young man's heart. And he says, your stuff is getting in the way. You've got to sell it. And in verse 23, Jesus says to his disciples, how hard will it be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed by his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we hear things about the rich young ruler, and we think, yeah, that guy. You know, like, oh, the rich people, like Bill Gates, be, needs to be reading this stuff. Don't put too much stock in your money. But when we take a step back and realize, like, as a nation, we're one of the rich ones. Like, that's actually for us. And yet, even as we live in luxury, we still feel like, that's not us. We don't, I mean, we're not the rich ones. We're not give, we don't need to give away our stuff. But really, we, we've become so desensitized that we will hold up certain parts of Scripture and say, you need to follow this Scripture. And then on other parts of the Scripture, we're like, well, and we kind of skirt around the issue. I'll give you another example. What about sex? Ephesians 5.3 says this, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because they are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. Do you understand how crazy that is? Not even a hint of sexual immorality. 
Yet when I talk to students about, you know, sex or date, look, every year it's sex or dating or relationships, and so I'm just done being nervous or awkward about it. I just, I'll tell them straight up, this is going to get awkward. And I'll just talk to them, or if they go to a, if we go to a seminar or uh, some sort of conference, there'll be a class on relationships. And there's always that one question, hey, how, how far is too far? If this is the line, how close can I get to it without actually crossing it? What's the most I can do to sinning without sinning, though? What's the, what's the line? And instead, the Bible's like, how about this? Not even a hint. Like, you're getting close to that line, and we're saying not even a hint of sexual immorality. Now, my question is, when we hear the, you know, that story, you're like, yeah, high schoolers are like that. But what about you as an adult? What does it mean, not even a hint of sexual immorality? What about what you watch or the music you listen to or the TV shows? I feel like with students that the two biggest ways they compromise themselves without realizing it is one in sports. When we play dodgeball, they are the biggest bunch of cheaters that I know. They will argue and cheat and lie, and then when they get caught on their lie and don't get out, the other person will lie because it's not fair that they got to stay in, and then they'll stay in. And it just goes on and on, and they don't realize that in competition, man, they are compromising who they are. And then we go upstairs and learn about Jesus after that game. It, it gets to the point where I'll only play dodgeball with the students. I'll let them play like maybe twice a semester or just once a semester. It's just too hard. I don't think it's, it, they don't even see it, or if they do, they don't care. And the other one is humor. If I say, you should go watch this raunchy movie, and they say, no, that has a lot of, like, really bad stuff, language and sex and and violence, and you're like, yeah, but it's funny. It's so funny, though. And so what they'll do is they don't even realize that they'll be talking about the movie in front of me, this, like, hard-rated R movie. Take your pick on whichever one is popular right now. I mean, it's not like I'm thinking of just one. This is constant. But because it's funny... It's no big deal. And they'll, sometimes they'll even ask me, did you see that movie? And I'm like, are you serious? What, shouldn't you be awkward or like hiding this from me that you've seen it? And they don't even think that it's a big deal because it's funny. And yet when we look at passages like this, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. And yet we let things seep in. There was this one show. It was on for like a decade. And they did research on it where they took the cast of the show and they found out how many times they had slept with people. And they found in the 10-year run, this cast had slept with over 300, or I'm sorry, over 130 people, individuals in the cast. And you just didn't notice it. You know what the show was? Friends. That they broke that show down and said that there was so much sleeping around on the show that it was over 130 different people. Joey had over 50 alone. Now, here's the deal. I'm not saying, so you shouldn't watch Friends, but I am saying, man, it is easy to let stuff seep in when we think it's funny, when we think it's entertaining, and I don't know how you apply not even a hint. Some of you are like, I guess I'm not going to watch Friends, and some of you are like, I'm still going to watch Friends. And the point is not to get you to start or stop something, but if we're going to apply Scripture to other people and say, I stand for truth, we got to stand for truth. We have to pursue Scripture for ourselves, too. And not just the ones we like, but the ones that also convict us. So as we look at certain topics in Scripture, understand that here's the big deal. Our ultimate goal is to honor God. That's it. It's not about rules. We're just trying to honor God in all areas. So when we seek his voice, we need to go to Scripture first. Even if we don't like the outcome, we still need to submit to the text. Number two. Obey the right authority. Not just obey authority. Obey the right authority. Romans 13. 
In the first couple of verses, it says this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except, that's what, except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequence, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. What do I mean by the right authority? Because in here, the authority would be like the government. But I'm not asking you to submit to the government. I'm asking you to submit to the right authority. So what does that mean? If you're taking notes on point number two, can you write somewhere in that or off to the side, just these three words in order, across or going down, God, law, parents. God, law, parents. So let's suppose you follow what Scripture says about a topic, like in point number one. But what if it's not that specific? What if you're looking to Scripture to guide you and it's not that specific? Let's use drinking as an example. What does the Bible say about drinking? We go to Scripture first. In a nutshell, it says don't get drunk. In a nutshell. There are many lists in the Bible that talks about the sin of man and, and, what they, and what's involved with the sin of the flesh. And over and over and over again, in all these lists, drunkenness is brought up. Ephesians 5, 6, Romans 13, 13, Galatians 5, 21, 1 Peter 4, 3. All these lists that will include drunkenness. So it's pretty clear drunkenness is a thing that we should not be doing. So when it comes to alcohol, all we know is don't, like, go overboard with it. And that's about all we get. Don't get drunk. But how old do you have to be? Well, the Bible doesn't say. So we follow this list of authority. We go to Scripture first. We go to God, and after that is law. What does the law say about drinking in America? You can yell it out. How old do you have to be? 21. The law says you've got to be 21 in order to do that. Now, here's what's weird. If you go to colleges and you see any, like, show or movie or just you hear people talking, and they talk about the parties and drinking, just, just put this in context here. When a kid goes off to college, they're 18, and then they're 19, and then they're 20, and then by the time they get to, like, senior year, we're looking at around 21. But those first three years, they're not 21. And yet, the stories or the movies or the TV show is everyone partying and drinking. And according to the law, that's sin. They're underage drinking. And a lot of times when we talk about, oh, I think drinking is a, uh, you know, is that a, um, a gray area? A lot of times it's what we think of as gray areas is really just an obedience issue. Like in this specific case, you've got to at least be 21. Let's just start off with that before we go into is it okay. Now, take a step back for a second. If someone lives in Germany, do you know what the drinking, well, I'll just ask, what is the drinking age in Germany? What? We have military people here. I figured it'd be easy. 16. 16 for beer or wine and 18 for mixed drinks or liquor. So if you have an 18-year-old German who, let's say a Christian who's honoring God even by what he drinks and he doesn't get drunk and doesn't do anything, drinks responsibly as a 16-year-old, which sounds so weird to say, but this 16-year-old is drinking responsibly and uh, does that and then at 18 has been drinking for a couple of years responsibly and then flies to America to visit a friend and wants to get a drink, is that okay? Is it okay now that he's in America, even though he was, it was okay in Germany, is it okay now for him? No, it's not. Because the law says in, here in America that you've got to be 21. Even though the law was different somewhere else, you have to obey the law of the land. Does this make sense? 
So we follow the law. <clears throat> now, I'm going to hold off on the alcohol discussion until point number three. We're going to come back to it. But I want to keep going with this, this uh, pattern of God, law, and parents. What if the Bible says it's okay? What if the law says it's okay, but your parents don't? What if you're 17 years old and you're driving around and your, your mom says, I need you home by, by 9.30? And you decide, I don't want to be home by 9.30. The Bible doesn't say I need to be home by 9.30. It says nothing about curfews. The law, at this point, says nothing about me being home at 9.30. So I'm not breaking God's law. I'm not breaking the law. But I am disobeying my parents. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents for the Lord, or in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. So, it would be a sin for you to stay out past curfew, because you are disobeying your parents. And that goes against what God wants. So you would literally be sinning if you're driving around at 10 o'clock at night. And if you have a friend in your car whose parents are okay with them staying out till midnight, they're not sinning, even though you're doing the exact same thing. So when we talk about gray areas, I'm trying to mix this up a little bit and understand two kids, same car, same scenario, same time, one is sinning and one is not because they're disobeying their parents. God, law, parents. Now, if you're over 18, that changes a little bit. You're not diso- if you disobey your parents, that's just your choice. Uh, you're not under their rule, if that makes sense. However, you may have kids, so this applies. And I still throw this out just so we can kind of understand the full grasp of how kids play into this. So my question is, is it ever okay to disobey your parents? Is it ever okay to break the law? Talking about, talking about gray areas. If we look at the order things go in, God, law, parents. If the one underneath is, is going against the one above, then yes, you can. If your parents, if you grew up in a, a rough house, and let's say your parents do drugs, and they said, hey, we want you to go in the store and steal some stuff so that we can get some money for our drug habit, then as a kid, you can still say no, because that is going against the law and also what God wants. All right? You can disobey your parents. If you're in an abusive house and your parents beat you, it's okay to lie to them and get out of there and tell them one thing. You can lie because they're putting you in a situation because they themselves are, are committing a sin by doing that. If you are a German in the early 1940s and you are hiding Jews in your house and the law says you got to tell us if those Jews are there and they come and knock on your door and they say, are there any Jews in your house? You don't have to be like, well, I'm not supposed to lie because the government is now disobeying God's law, and they're killing people. So it is okay to go against the government when it goes against what God's moral law is. Is this making sense? Is this making sense? Okay, so as we look at these three, as, at these three sources of authority, they go in order, and when one is corrupt, uh, we, we ultimately um, go back to what God says. All right, point number three. Point number three is this, look out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I said that weird. It's not look out, it's look out for them. (laughs) 
I think I put this, the accent on the wrong word. Look out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look out for them. Romans 14. Okay, this is where most of the gray areas, I think, would come from. So let's buckle up. Here we go. Verse 14, 1 through 3 says this. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Let's break that down. Jesus comes, does his ministry, is killed, buried, and resurrected. And after that, the church starts in the book of Acts. And you have this hodgepodge of people just coming to the church. Rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, they're all together, like right now. And they're trying to make this work. And in a nutshell, you have people, the Jews, who have, you know, followed the law all this time, who are now following Jesus. And then you have the, Jew, the Gentiles, who are basically the non-Jews. And they're just doing whatever they want. And when Jesus came, he came and fulfilled the law. That means, how do I say this? Right now, if I were to say, how can you tell if someone's a good Christian, you'd say by their fruit, by their relationship with God, things like that. But if you were a Jew, you were a good Jew because of how you obeyed the law and the Torah. And so when Jesus says, hey, I've come to fulfill the law, so you don't have to do that anymore, it's not just easy to say, okay, I guess I won't do this anymore, when for decades you've been living your life like not eating ham, because you think it's a sin, because it had been a sin up until Jesus came. And now they're having a potluck at church, and all the Gentiles are scarfing down their bacon sandwiches, and the Jews are like, ah, okay, I know, it's, I know it's okay. I know Jesus said it's okay. I, I can do this, right? And they're convincing themselves, I can, it's, not, it's not a sin. I know it's not a sin, but it's hard to still change that. And so Paul says, accept the one whose faith is weak. Accept them. If one person's faith allows them to eat anything, the Gentiles, but another whose faith is weak gets tripped up over that like the Jews, then the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. Have you ever met someone who just is really picky about certain things and they like saw Elvis dance once and they're like, dancing's a sin. And they decided they're not going to, they don't like dancing. And you just, it is so easy, it's so easy to judge. Like, oh, it's like a Pharisee over here. And it's so easy to nitpick the things that they've decided to, to honor God with. I'm not going to smoke. Right? I'm not going to dance. And, uh, and it's easy to get caught up in that thing. And yet, Paul says, if one person's faith allows them to eat anything, uh, but another person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables, then the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. We don't look down on people because they hold certain things. They're doing certain things that honor God. And on the flip side, if you are that one who has all these regulations set up to not, you know, sin, it says the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. Look at those pagans over there. They're just eating sandwiches like it's no big deal. Look at that bacon. That's not okay. Okay, then we move on. Romans 14, 5. <laughs> One person considers one day more sacred than the other, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards as one day as special, now listen to this, does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they gave thanks to God. And then whoever abstains from that does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. And then verse 13. Therefore, 
Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Make up your mind not to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister. So go back to that drinking example that I gave. Imagine that there's a senior now, a 21-year-old in college, has his own apartment, and he's able to drink responsibly. One beer a week, let's say, and he does it responsibly. He's not, uh, he's not disobeying God by getting drunk. He's following the law. He's doing everything right. No biggie. Except he has two roommates that are 19 and 20. Is it wise to live your life of freedom in front of those who may stumble if you're always having alcohol around? Now, you could just tell them, hey, don't drink my stuff. But at the same time, if you know that they're in an environment that celebrates that, that does that a lot, where it's easily available, and you are also providing a way for them to easily have a drink, is that wise? Just because you can. And in Romans 14, it says, don't put a stumbling block in front of people. Let me give you a personal example. We, uh, for about three or four years, have gone to Mexico to build a house. And every time we've gone, (coughs) excuse me, the organization would tell us, don't bring cards when we go to Mexico. Don't bring cards to the church because they view playing cards as, as a form of gambling, and gambling is a sin. Now, let's take a step back here and look at that. What does the Bible say about playing cards? <clears throat> Don't say anything. What does the law say about me or students playing cards? Nothing. Do any parents of the youth group have a problem with their kids playing cards? No. This is an okay thing for us to do. There is no issue with it. Except we have a situation where our Mexican brothers and sisters... we call this the weaker brother, view this as a form of gambling and as a sin. And so, even though I can, I'm not going to look at them and judge them with contempt. Ugh, so backwards, this church. Instead, I will put their needs above my own. And so here's where it gets crazy, is that as we look at the weaker brother situation, the weaker, stronger brother situation, Sometimes there's things that can be a sin for you and not for someone else. Not because your parents told you anything. But Romans 14, 14 says this, and this is where it gets crazy. He says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean. So Paul's saying, hey, I'll have that ham sandwich. I don't care. I'll eat anything. I'm totally fine with that. But, he says, if anybody does regard something as unclean, like that ham sandwich, then for that person, it is unclean. If you have set apart in your heart, if you have said in your mind, I don't like this, I, think, I don't think God would like this, I don't think I should be reading Harry Potter, then for you, you shouldn't be reading Harry Potter. You have set apart in your mind something that you feel like uh, is a sin, right? Now, is it a biblical sin in the Bible? No, but you can see where they get to it, but other people may disagree with that. If you grew up in a household where parents uh, did not drink and they actually looked down on drinking and had a strong opinion about it, or if you grew up in a household where there was uh, alcoholism involved, you may have a strong opinion about alcohol and the Christian's role with that. And you may say, I don't think Christians should drink. And you have, it's understandable why you come to that. You have that opinion about alcohol. But it may not be the same for someone else. But your strong opinion about that, like, hey, I don't think Christians should, means that you shouldn't. 
because in your own heart, that's what you believe. This is where it gets weird. Talk about a gray area. It's, it's so counter, I, I feel like, I hate to even say it like, yeah, well, that's just sin for you, but not for me. But really, it is. There are some things that we have set apart, and, uh, and for other people, it's not. It doesn't trip them up, and for other people, it does. And in both cases, remember, we're not supposed to look down on those who struggle with it, and we're not supposed to judge those who don't struggle with it. It's the same true as for Harry Potter, for playing, uh, for playing cards, for drinking. I had a friend in college who uh, had given up R-rated movies. They felt like that was a line they could draw. They wanted to honor God by the content they bring in. And I almost judged them for it. I was like, oh, look who's so holy now. We I think we were watching Saving Private Ryan. I was like, we can't go watch something, someone getting shot. How, how horrible is this going to be to look at history? And I don't know why. I was just insecure and immature. And, and uh, I almost felt like by them saying, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go to that. I don't watch those now. I'm trying to honor God. I felt like it was going against me like... I guess I'm not honoring God. And then I almost like projected that back on them, like it, they were doing something, they were being too holier than now. But the important thing to remember is that when it comes to weaker, stronger brother, if you are the stronger brother, don't treat, contempt, don't treat with contempt those who, can, who consider things sinful. And if you have abstained, don't judge others. Now, my last point before we conclude is this. I'm saying don't judge others, Right? But don't get mistaken here and thinking, I'm just saying, listen, let's just all do what you want and don't judge each other. Everyone can do whatever they want. Some of you do this and some of you do this. And it's just do your own thing and let's just be at peace. No, no, I'm not saying this all. Understand, this is still within the context of a gray area. When it comes to matters of opinion, be gracious, be accepting. But when it comes to sin, call that stuff out. Like, call them out. You know how people are like, don't judge. No, judge. If you're a Christian and they're a Christian and they're sinning, call that out. If you say, if someone says, oh, you know, they want to honor God by not having sex before marriage, but, you know, that's just a weaker, stronger brother thing. I don't do that. I still sleep around. That's not a weaker, stronger brother thing. That's you sinning. That's you sinning. And someone needs to call you out for that sin. And so understand the difference between a differing of opinion and actual sin. So as we wrap this up, once again, our three points were pursue Scripture above all else, obey the right authority, and look out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And before we go debating these topics on Facebook or, or, or talking, about, talking to people about our difference of opi- differing of opinions, we have to remember that we've got to put Jesus first any time we proceed with this any type of disagreement. Otherwise, you will get lost in a discussion thread that will die, and you will die on the hill that just goes on and on and on. Have you ever seen someone post something benign on Facebook, and then like you come back an hour later, and there's like 57 comments, and you're like, how on earth did this get this far? It wasn't even that big of a deal. And then people had differing of opinions, and they just would not let up, because their goal was to win that argument, to win their position. And you will die on a hill that doesn't even matter. And I was tempted. I was tempted to copy and paste some arguments that I have found over the years. And then just to show you how petty and bitter and sarcastic it gets. Oh, it's so delightful. It's not. It, it eats at my soul. I was like, I can't wade through this stuff. It's so hard to read. It's awkward. So instead, I want to close with this story of Cindy DeLong. She posted something a few months ago, and it stood out to me so much, I just copy and pasted it right then, because I thought, I'll probably use this. 
This was, I think, right after a, um, Cindy Long, by the way, is someone who goes to our church, and this was right after, um, I think, a school shooting. It's sad to say, I'm not even sure which one or if it was this, but she put this on Facebook. She said, I'm going to put this out here for anyone uh, to read if interested. Knowing that many of my Christian friends are pro-gun rights, I want to try to find in the Bible how God feels about guns. And of course, there's no guns in the Bible, but remember, we're talking about point one now. Of course, there's no guns in, the, in biblical days, but there were weapons of swords that were used for self-defense and, and war and murder. And then she proceeds to list a, uh, an article she had read, and, and she wrote something. And the point is not even what she wrote, but this is how she ended it. She goes, I tried really hard to search with an open mind and an open heart on this subject. I truly wanted to seek God's word. Now, without even knowing where she kind of fell in that position, isn't that refreshing to hear? I really tried hard to search with an open mind and an open heart, and I wanted to seek out God's word. My goal is not to convince you to follow me on these uh, gray areas, but is to seek God in everything. Whoever eats meat, ready, does so to the Lord. Whoever abstains, does so to the Lord. Whoever conceals and carries, does so to the Lord. Whoever is a pacifist, does so to the Lord. Whoever kneels at a football game should do it for the Lord. And whoever stands at every sporting event does so for the Lord. Am I making you uncomfortable yet? Whoever's a Democrat is one for the Lord, and whoever's a Republican is one for the Lord. Those who don't drink does so for the Lord, and those who do drink does so for the Lord. Isn't that weird to say, like, I drink for the Lord? It's me and God. But what does that mean? Like, if every post you have is like, oh, the kids are down, time for mommy's magic sippy cup, and it's always a joke about, I can't wait till Friday, and I can't, and I get it, I get it. But I'm saying, like, is that to the Lord how much we glorify binge drinking, right? And I'm not saying drinking's wrong, but I am saying, are there ways we do that for the Lord, and are there ways that we don't? In all things, in all these gray areas, we don't judge our brothers, or sisters, and we don't look down on them in contempt when they differ from our opinion. And if they are sinning, we call them out gently. And when we're not sure if their gray area is a sin or if it's just an opinion, don't say anything and go seek wise counsel first and get some clarity before you proceed. And I want to end with this verse, Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we have before you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the messiness that we live in. I pray that you would help us uh, to live in this tension between grace and truth, between pursuing you and loving people. And we know it's not going to be easy, and, and so Lord, we pray that we would not be satisfied with where we are, but we constantly pursue people, we constantly pursue you, uh, and that you would constantly change us, change our hearts, um, reveal yourself to us, and in, in all things, Lord, please give us wisdom and discernment um, as we represent Jesus. We love you so much, and we thank you for your son. We pray all this in his name. Amen.